Welcome to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. So, Paul, I think I can smell the turkey cooking. I thought that was your cologne, Rick. That would explain the dogs following. <laughs> well, but Thanksgiving is coming, and, and we're going to talk about what wine goes with Thanksgiving, Paul. Just, you know, just about most of them do. Uh, yes, actually, it's true. But, you know, as professionals, aren't we obligated to offer professional advice? Um, order wine that you love, and it'll probably match food from Thanksgiving. And so will we. Yes, we will. Also today, listeners ask whether wine helps digestion and about what to do with the uncle who gives way too long toasts. Plus, our historic history moment sends the Wayback Machine to visit the pilgrims. And as usual, <laughs> we will make fun of wine stops. Okay. By the way, we are still on Capital Public Radio's podcast lineup. Recommended Edu- podcast lineup. In the education category. <laughs> yeah. Hey, speaking of education, so Paul, you are going to be uh, leading a cruise. Yes, wine cruise on Crystal Cruises down the coast of California. July of 2018 and love to have people join us because we'll drink a lot of wine. We'll eat a lot of fabulous food and talk about wine. And we will even make fun of wine snobs. Rick, it's a pity you won't be there. Well, you can make fun of me. I know well, you will. We'll, make, we'll yes, try to make fun it, of you. It's, it, it, I can feel it. My ears, ears are already burning. That's July 2018. <clears throat> if somebody would like to sign up or get more information, the place to go is winecruisegroup.com. Right. Winecruisegroup.com. Uh, all ex- together. Part of Expedia Cruise Ship Centers, but it's the Wine Cruise Group is doing this. And I've done a number of cruises with them and they are really, really good at this stuff. These are, so. these are fun things, and if it sounds like we're plugging it, we are, because we, we, need, are. we need to keep Paul uh, working. You need to get him out of here. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, all right, so uh, the, the, we're going to talk a little bit tricky here today, uh, so to speak. Uh, but let's, let's start with this little tip. Uh, it's a tip that I try to give every year because it's a good tip, and it comes from a chef friend of mine in Sacramento named Danny Regal, a great chef, oh, by uh-huh. the way. Okay. Um, and he says when they create buffets for events, uh, you know, the, because you know you, they're on a budget, even though they're trying to feed sumptuously. Right. Uh, they put all the salads first and the turkey last because people's plates get filled up and they don't take too much of the more expensive uh, and more yeah. delicious turkey. So the advice from Danny and otherwise is if you know when you get to that hit the Thanksgiving table, and especially yeah. if it's the group serving kind of a thing, save yourself some room for the good stuff. Yeah, but the salad stuff is the good stuff that's good for you. Yes, well, it's great. You get to live to be a hundred, or at least it will seem like I'm um, eating the turkey and the mashed potatoes. <laughs> yes, or at least it will seem like that. Exactly right. No, I actually love salad, so I'm, I'm, I take Danny's point, but I generally lay off the the stuff in the middle. Right. I'll take the chunk of salad and I'll do the turkey at the end, but maybe not the sweet potatoes, yam, dressing, and all of the bread all in the middle. All right. Well, if you go on the cruise <clears> with Paul, you don't have to just eat salad. You can eat any. In fact, you eat fabulous. Yeah, yes, that yeah. is true. That's pretty amazing. Um, all right. So uh, let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about uh, wines matching Thanksgiving food. What do you mean? Well, I know what you mean, but I'm going to ask you anyway. So, Paul, okay. what do you mean by all wines go with Thanksgiving food? Well, it's just that the, you know, depending on when you serve them, they're all. Per- Perfect. So think of your normal progression of wines where you'd start with something light and sparkly and then go to something bigger and richer and white and then red and then maybe even a dessert wine. All of those have a place at the Thanksgiving table. Plus, if you think about what's out on the Thanksgiving table, what isn't out on the what Thanksgiving table? What isn't out on that right. table? That's right. So yeah. sparkling wine, absolutely. goes great with uh, the, the starting elements of a turkey dinner. Sure. Well, let's so let's just go through uh, just okay. a, a couple of pieces because that's, sure. that's exactly a great question. Is like, you know, for pre-meal. 
everybody shows up. Pre-meal. They're in a festive mood. There might be a little cheese, right. little nuts, a little yep. pate. It might be some uh, turkey running around that has not been slaughtered. Cheese, no, Doritos. Know. Yes. Yeah. So what's uh, what 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 uh, sparkling? Well, clearly, we're, sparkling we're, always is, starts things always off a with, start, a, right? with a with fun and celebration. So why not? But yeah, rosé goes well there. Rosé is a really fun wine for a pre, and actually, that's a wine that will go with a lot of the foods as well. Yep. That would that would be the other recommendation. You know, of course, whatever anybody likes to drink. If somebody wants to open the cab or the rich shard, that's fine. Yep. But rosé is a really fun pre big meal wine for the same yep. reason. Kind of gets the juices flowing, and, and it's pink. Yep, it's fun. And, it's, and it's pink. All right. It's pink. What else? So, do you so want? during the meal. Yeah. So you know. As I now that I, I don't write a wine column, well, I actually still won't, but I don't do this. I, I don't write a wine column where I had to do this anymore. But every year, I still had to pick a wine. Well, and and the funny thing is, if if there's one question people ask you when you're out and about, it's so what do I serve on the holidays? And they really mean Thanksgiving and Christmas. Yes, so, yeah. and so aside from everything. Uh, there's there's always two that work for me, and they work on the opposite end. Both of them are red, although I would also argue that a, a big, rich Chardonnay would do it, too. As does Riesling. Yes. Yes. Well, true. That's true, too. So, yeah, for the main part of the meal, I like I like Riesling. I like Chardonnay. I like lighter-style reds because they go with the food. And I like heavier-style reds. It all depends on what's on your plate. And to me, this is going to sound a little odd, but to me, the determining factor is the cranberry. The Cranberry matched. Okay, you because the cranberry. Uh, you've is heard kind of, it here. Paul Wagner <laughs> says when pairing wine with a meal, match the cranberry. Match the cranberry. Well, the thing is, a lot of people like a sort of tart, lively cranberry. And if you drink a Swedish wine, and that was not Sweet-ish. Swedish from Sweden, that's yeah. Swedish from sweet, lightly sweet. Um, and then you eat that cranberry, it's going to peel the enamel off your teeth. So in that case, you need something that is a little drier and fresher. If you're not that big a fan of the tart, lively cranberry, then you can go with bigger, richer wines, and they will work fine. And, you know, I I always like looking out on the table and seeing two or three glasses in front of me and deciding which one I go to next. That's how I always drink. Couple, That's how you always A couple glasses drink. of wine at the same time. Except, except just, that usually you know, sip, it sip, straight sip. from the bottle. It's usually no, not it, with a it's glass. Always, it's bite, sip, 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 bite, <laughs> sip, sip, sip. Yeah, and I, 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 I agree, too. Uh, though I, I'd say that, that there's one or two reds that, that handle so many different kinds of flavors. On the lighter side, it's Pinot Noir. Yes, California style of Pinot Noir the, yes. with little richness uh, to them. Burgundian yeah, style Yeah, Burgundian too. too. They would both yeah. use. And yeah. then in uh, and the heavier style, it's Zinfandel. Uh-huh. Zinfandel's uh-huh. got yeah. that sort of big robustness yeah. and sort of the lively wild flavors yeah. that seem to go with all yeah. of the foods. So the be. And then there's the post meal dessert. Yes. And this is where it actually does change up. And okay. we, we say this a lot. Okay. So you got your pumpkin pie, you got your pumpkin pie, you, you might have your, your cherry pie. pie, you got your pecan pie, yeah, you got your yeah. pumpkin pie. You got your fruit cake that you somebody your... left over from Christmas the year before yes. and they're still trying to use so up. You got that sweet. So uh, suddenly the wine choices might be a little different. Well, drinking dry wine with dessert is not a good idea. So you got to go to sweet wine. So that is perfect. Our, that you is, need a fourth glass. Yes. That is the Rick and Paul rule of uh, a dessert or sweetness is that you're, with sweet stuff, your wine needs to be sweeter. And the reason is even whether you know it or not that there is some acid in in all wines. A lot of acid. Yeah, and you know you might not even notice it, but and we will you know bring up our orange juice metaphor again. You don't notice that orange juice has acid in it until you've brushed your teeth before your glass of orange juice. Right. And then you go, wow, why is that so sour? So right. that's what the sweetness in dessert does. It turns yep. your wine into orange juice. Yep. But I would say that anything sold as a dessert wine, tawny port, 
Ruby port, Colheda port, Vintage port, any port, uh, cream sherry, uh, Sauterne, uh, ice wine. Yeah, all... and, and those late harvest and you know whites. What? Yeah. What's fun about serving dessert wine at a dinner party is there is a sizable percentage of the wine drinking population in America that will tell you they don't like sweet wines. Serve them a delicious dessert wine at the end of a meal and go around afterwards and see how many of them left some wine in their glass. Yeah, yeah. Those glasses will be bone dry because nope, they nope. may not like dessert wine, but they'll finish that wine with yeah. You know, with I, gusto. In, in in most cases, I would agree with you. I happen to know one very important person uh, who does not like dessert wines, even oh. with dessert. Well, she clearly has no taste. Well, she married badly. <laughs> just, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> you know, I'll leave you. We knew chocolate. where that was going. So, uh, <clears throat> and uh, and one last bit of advice uh, involving wine. This is to uh, none, not of course to our listeners, because nobody would be this way. But is don't. Uh, don't be a snob. Don't be a snob. I mean, you should never be a snob, but if there's ever a time to not be a snob, it's Thanksgiving. That's right. Your job is to make everybody in your home feel really happy. Yes. It's a gathering of friends and family, and if you've got enough family there, God knows there's enough strife already. You don't need snobbiness. <laughs> Do I sound bitter? <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. Well, speaking of bitter, time to take a few questions. Cool. We do have one, actually, that involves – as a good question. Uh, but anyway, if you'd like to ask us a question, as you've probably heard if you've ever listened to the show before, go to our website, rickandpaulwine.com, all one word, Rick and Paul Wine. You can subscribe for free with a little click on iTunes as well. In fact, subscribe and don't listen. We don't mind because you still count. <laughs> you still count. All right. Yeah, uh, just wear earplugs and you'll be fine. Yes. Uh, and this is this one is from Melinda. This is going to take a bit of a time to answer, but I love this question. So she says, first, I want – plus, we know we like Melinda and you're going to see hear why in just a second. Cool. First, I want to say as we get close to Thanksgiving, we thought about giving thanks for your podcast. But then we thought, nah. I mean, there are, <laughs> there are a lot more important things out there, don't you think? <laughs> oh, yes. We agree with you, Melinda. Yeah, we're already with you, Melinda. So she says, here's my question. I have an uncle who always insists on giving a toast, a really long, boring, self-important toast, no matter what house we're at for Thanksgiving. Do you ha have any rules for toast and any suggestions what to do with him? Well, I have rules for toast. Yeah. Well, and the first rule for toast. Guidelines. Because the first rule for toast is short and sweet. Yes. Yes. Short and yes, sweet. Yes. Yes. Short is always, you know, and, and really speaking in public, the shorter, the better. <laughs> Our, our podcast notwithstanding. Our, the greatest <laughs> advice any performer ever gave any other performer is leave them hoping for more. That's right. Uh, so, but the, the basically, I, I want to call them guidelines only because toasts are supposed to be about appreciation. So they right. really should be you showing appreciation. Right. But at Thanksgiving in particular, there's another thing, which is that the host or hostess, they give the toast. They yes. Go, they although, go first. Although oftentimes you'll have a guest who will give the first toast who will say, I want a toast. Right. The, the host, host and, and hostess. hostess for hosting us. And fair enough. That's a good toast. Always a good point. And that time, that's really all you're doing. But yes. and, and, and it's still even best to let them go first and then you say, and thank you, Bill and Timmy or whoever. Yes. Um, and, uh, yes. So, and, and, if sex, and if you are giving that second, boy, you are really short. Yeah. Um, and, and if you yeah. are the host or hostess giving a toast, um, remember, it's it, don't talk about your summer vacation and how it was a great year with the, <laughs> the kids during soccer. Here's the thing as well. You're toasting. Nobody can eat. They're, they're all supposed yeah. to stop and listen. Yeah. So the longer you talk, the angrier they are at you. Yes, yes. And uh, it's all really about make, trying to make people feel nice and warm and toasty, so to speak. The other thing is, uh, and this is really good for any toast any time of year. 
you lose all of those you know Irish bar toasts uh, when yes. rising to meet your feet with the May you live for a thousand years yes. and may the last voice you hear be my yeah yeah, yeah. none of those last thing you hear yes. is my voice uh, in your ears yeah and, and then here's the important stuff don't keep your legs or feet crossed because it's bad luck you're supposed to have bad sex for a year yes so well, you would know uh, well, I don't keep anything crossed. Uh, sorry. Uh, so, and then as for Miranda's uncle, well, the, the, yeah, I, I have an idea. Okay, you have an idea. Good. Here's my idea. After he gives this long toast, yeah, Miranda, you stand up and you say, and I would like to just give thanks to for Uncle So and So finally finishing. <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, that'll go over well. That'll go over well. That'll be a good plan. Yeah, it, it probably not. You know, it, it is a problem when you get in these situations, and sometimes somebody wants to. Uh, toast every single person at the table, you know, and you got 16 people at the table and I want to tell you to yeah. toast to this one and this one. And so nobody feels left out. You know what? The simple way to do that, just say everybody. Yep. Say everybody, everybody. and you're done. Yep. Um, there was a wonderful rule in Victorian times, which was that you could never offer a toast to your wife. Because then everybody had to then follow. Every right. single other person right. at the table had to offer a toast to their wife and you were there all night long. Yeah, well, that's, yeah. You're supposed uh, to be eating. The, yes. I say toast the turkey and move on. <laughs> well, and, and uh, I mean, in, seriously, it's the kind of thing, talk to him after or before. Mm, and, and, you say, you know, and you say this, you say, uh, Uncle so-and-so. So I understand you're very gracious and a wise man, but, you know, uh, a cousin who – pick a cousin you like the less <laughs> – <laughs> really doesn't like those long toasts. Mm. Gets fidgety. Blame the the problem uncle. is uncle uncle. No, no, get in a fight with a cousin and then you got no, he, no. But he, Uncle Larry, you know. Uncle Larry is always thinking that it's really important for him to do this because if he doesn't do it, nobody would do it, and he thinks it's really important. And it's yeah, th- this is not a wine question. This is a family question, mm-hmm. and the solution is don't invite Uncle Uncle Larry. Yeah, or else you have a rule: no toasts. No toasts. Yes. Or a timer. Yeah, no toast. I like it. This year we're not doing toasts. We just want to say thank you, everybody. All right, and this one, next one is from Chris in Reed. Hmm. Uh, Chris says, you guys always have these odd studies. You, Rick, not you guys. Yeah. You. So, sorry, Chris. I'm, I'm, yeah, Paul doesn't want to take responsibility for this. <laughs> I happen to think they're brilliant. <laughs> he says, uh, anything on wine and digestion. And so I went back to my list of studies. And yes, as it turns did. out, I have a couple. I have a couple. In 2008, German researchers saw, said that wine and beer help speed through food to the digestive tract and help stimulate the acid di- that digests food. And did you read this in the original German or was it translated? Well, in I any... had it. was actually an ancient uh, <laughs> script that Hochdeutsch. was Aramaic yeah. that was translated into <laughs> Yes. Um, Good. Yes. And then there's the 2012 study in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition that said— Which is your regular nighttime reading. I do. It is. It's um, I, I, I love clinical clinical nutrition. Anything clinical is good for you, right? <laughs> um, and this says moderately, this is really more an overall than a Thanksgiving day kind of a thing, but moderate daily red wine helps increase the amount of good bacteria in your intestines. That's good to know. So well, I think I that we have another glass right we, now. You got a couple of days for Thanksgiving, I think, folks, is so, you know, a moderate daily red wine to get started. So get you're started. ready on That's for right. Thanksgiving. That's Excellent plan. All right. That's for questions for now. Up next, our Wayback Machine is going to be oh, visiting yeah. the Pilgrims. It's time for some history. Hit, Hit it, it, boys. Guys. 
You know, I think they played at the original Thanksgiving meal. <laughs> yeah, I bet they, they didn't. They are, they're, just, they're, <laughs> they're too good. <laughs> well, that's probably pretty true. pretty much amateurs probably back then. Probably true. <laughs> exactly right. All right, Paul, so your history moment. Well, I always think it's wonderful to realize why the pilgrims landed at Plymouth Rock. Because, in fact, they were headed further down the coast. They wanted to get to a warmer climate where it was easier to make a living. But the ship... Um, the ship and its crew had only one beverage on board that was safe to drink. The water had all spoiled and was hideous, and they ran out of beer. Yep. That's... They ran out of beer and landed at Plymouth Rock because they ran out of beer, yeah, which those, is kind those... of like you driving to the Grand Canyon, Rick, and right. making okay. it as far as Bakersfield. You know, as soon as I ran out of beer, I stopped and get more, right, <laughs> and get back on the road. <laughs> That's true. You know, yes. it is the thing in uh, – Pre Louis Pasteur microbiology understanding how to keep wine, uh, wine how to keep water um, safe safe was alcohol was what people traveled with and it was yeah. often low low alcohol beer or or wine yeah. And, and, so and, yeah we we owe the tradition of the Plymouth Rock and even the fact that they celebrated some sort of dinner with the local Native American population to the fact that they ran out of beer yep there you go where would we would have been an entirely different country if it only had more beer. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a little bit about that actual feast and the, sort that, of the, the key point at, in 1621 yes. um, was that there was no turkey. There was no turkey. There was no turkey. Um, and it was also mostly a guys-only event. As it, were most dinners in yeah, those days. So the English women uh, were doing the cooking and the cleaning. And, uh, and yeah. But so from what we can piece together, the Native Americans brought deer, so they had venison. Mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. English brought ducks and geese. They did have pumpkins and squash that grew there, but they didn't make pie. Right, um, and they also had all a lot of the easy to gather food, you know, the corn and the roots. But they had the other easy to gather food, which yes. are things like lobster. In fact, and the clam. early pilgrims got so sick of eating lobster all the time that they would treasure almost anything, so they wouldn't have to have another one of those god awful lobster dinners. It's terrible. See, um, and uh, it's it's. Amazing. Yeah. Um, I feel the same way. Yes. Yeah. You know, well, that's it. We, we, when our caterers bring lobster in for lunch. We and, just say know, not lobster it's just not again. not the same. I'm telling you. <laughs> so, and by the way, you know, Thanksgiving and, and, and Turkey are not, we're not huge in America, Turkey in particular, but thanks, right. even Thanksgiving until the 1800s. Right. Middle 1800s. Right. Um, it was Lincoln made it a national holiday in 1863. And Turkey didn't work, work its way in until the mid 1800s, too. And there were a handful of, of, People that uh, agitated for it. One name in particular, Sarah Josepha Hale, who wrote the book uh-huh. Goody's Lady Book, like Goody's Ladies Book. Uh-huh, uh-huh. She campaigned for National Thanksgiving and also wrote about uh, Turkey and um, and Turkey started to show up. and And the, one of the reasons why Turkey became, especially you think about what the culture was back then, mm. Turkey became the thing that they could raise. One bird could feed a lot of people. Um, you know, back then, uh, well, they, but it wouldn't feed two hundred people. So the, when you had a dinner for twelve, you couldn't. Necessarily, I mean, in you read the Bible, well, it's time to kill the cow. Right. I'm sorry, a cow feeds way more than the twelve people you got coming for Thanksgiving dinner. So, well, and in uh, in the even in the 1800s, uh, there wasn't a giant commercial beef. Uh, right. Uh, so you, it was your cow, which often might have been for milk or for something else. <laughs> right. And chickens were for eggs, and roosters were too tough to eat. And, yeah, and well, so turkeys fair, were the thing. Turkeys were pretty tough too, yeah. but what the heck? It's what you had. Yeah. 
that's true. And if anybody's, you know, wild turkeys, I have on occasion had wild turkey. Those are very tough. Not the, not the drink, the turkey itself. Right. Um, right. So People actually call you a turkey. They, right? Well, more than once. They, and they do call me wild, too, you know. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of wild, we're going to take a couple more questions while we have Excellent. some time. Um, this one, actually, I'm repurposing from an earlier Thanksgiving show, but I do like the question. Hmm. And it's a really simple one, which is, what is that funny French wine and everybody races around? Our friend uh, brought yes. some to Thanksgiving uh, last year. And I pretended to like it, but it kind of tasted like grape juice. <laughs> ah, she is, of course, speaking of? Beaujolais Nouveau. Beaujolais Nouveau. That's, That's right. right. The new wine of the vintage. And it was a huge marketing deal in France um, back in the right after World War II. Uh, everyone raced to see who could get the first freshly fermented grape juice to Paris to celebrate things. And actually, they eventually then decided that, well, there had to be a deadline because people were bringing up literally well it might still be for many but in the in the 50s it was a wonderful story people would fly it up in airplanes and race on motorcycles and everyone would want to be the first person to get Beaujolais right. Nouveau into racing, Paris racing to Paris and the date was all they, then they when they set a date the date was November 15th right. that's what they aimed for but after a while they figured out that they needed to make it a drinking night so uh-huh. uh, so it became the third thursday Oh, the yeah. Thursday okay. before Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it was you know a brilliant bit of marketing, and you see those waiter races. And, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, but the and wine... every winery had its own special vehicle that it was going to race the wine yes. into Paris with. It's pretty fun um, stuff. And it is it is kind of great because it's so new and it hasn't um, it, it sort of hasn't grown up yet. Um, it's it's sort of it's fun, but you know it yeah. wouldn't be my choice but of, of. I wonder if the French haven't made a movie like Smokey and the Bandit. Where, where they, would, where they where race the and they're all elbowing and driving Nouveau. them off the That's road. Right. And, That's right. And know. one guy's on the airplane, the little old – being, you know. being chafed by the big fat gendarme <laughs> <laughs> smoking a cigar. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that's what, what that is. Beaujolais Nouveau. All right. Beaujolais and then, Nouveau. And this is from Julie in Livingston, which is down in the Central Valley. Yep. Um, yep. She says, I have this real mishmash of wine glasses. Does mm-hmm. it matter if the people coming over don't get the same glass? And what can I tell my idiot brother who always whines about it? Okay. So so uh, first of all, it doesn't matter. And in fact, Rick, do you have 12 glasses of the same type? Yes, I do. Do you? Yeah, You're but they're, they're cheap restaurant glasses You're that a... I got years ago. Okay. For, and I also have another set that I use for events. Because I know but, but, tons that's not of normal. people in the wine it industry. It isn't normal. And yeah. nobody has 12 glasses right. of the same kind. Right. Everybody I, has I, a mixed mess. If it wasn't for what I used to do, I wouldn't either. Yeah. Yes. And so, first of all, nobody has that many glasses, and it's okay to mix and match. And, in fact, I think it's kind of helpful to have a glass that's a different shape than other people so I can remember that not to drink out of the one that Rick slobbered all over. Well, yeah, and be careful because I just take whatever's close to me and drink it. <laughs> you do yes. indeed. So, and, Julie, here's my suggestion, by the way, for your uh, idiot brother. Tell him to bring his own. Nope. Give him a coffee cup. <laughs> <laughs> All right, idiot brother, nice. you're going to complain. You're drinking out of a cup that says world's worst brother. <laughs> but she, it, it, she could actually get a special glass just for him. Yes. That would be funny. Yeah, it, it's, you know, of course it's not. It's no big deal. You know, the it, and I mean, if it if you or somebody was having a big event and really wanted that, it's actually cheaper to rent them, too. They're like a buck well, a glass. In fact, I have a dear friend for her wedding who went to the local thrift shop over the course like of three story. months and yeah. just bought all the odds and ends of wine glasses for three or four months. 
used them for her wedding guests. It was wonderful because everybody had their own glass. You could tell which one it was because yours was the one that had the local bank name or the local whatever it was. And at the end of it all, you know what she did? She took 75 glasses back to Goodwill, made a charitable donation, and walked out. Very nice. Pretty nice deal. Nice move. You know, and when I I go to those kind of events where there's all these different glasses, I always just go for the biggest one. The biggest one. Yeah. 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 Because that way people won't know that I've poured an entire bottle. Well, and your slobber smears more evenly over a big glass. That's true. Actually, that is very true. Um, I say, but coffee cut for the idiot Coffee cut for the brother is a great solution. Okay. Well, that is it for another round of brilliant advice from Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Our producer is Matt Passini. Thank Thank you, Matt. Matt. Thanks to Capital Public Radio for the studio use and for including us on their podcast. Their recommended educational podcast. And and don't forget winecruisegroup.com. If you want to cruise with Paul, we should actually put this on our website, don't you? We should. We will put that on our website so you can find us at either place. And if you learned anything today at all, we hope it's that Thanksgiving is a time for acceptance, especially of all wines. Acceptance of all wines. All wines. But not wine snobs, Paul. Not wine snobs. And we want to say thank you for listening. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. Remember, the best wines you drink are with friends. Or with us. Especially us. Especially us.